Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. This week starts out with a bang, another horrible one. Yesterday, you probably heard that Pope Francis is everywhere defending the recent appointment of a witchy woman to the Pontifical Academy for Life. <laughs> that is to say, uh, he wants to put her there to give a little more humanity to the Academy. And that's a funny thing to say because to the extent that Pope Francis puts a pro-abortion witchy woman onto the Pontifical Academy for Life, he's actually subtracting from the humanity because she wants to kill babies, of course. This they're is human. a Yeah, they're not they're, they are human. Now, the strange thing about this story, the way that it's breaking mostly this morning is that the the PAL, the Pontifical Academy for Life, under the direction of this evil, evil man, Francis, this most wicked man, has been populated for nearly 10 years now, appointment by appointment, with pro-abortionists, pro-contraceptionists, pro-gay, and everyone's jumping on this story. I've covered a lot of the PAL appointments in, in, throughout the history of the last decade, horrible, horrible decade that it is, but most people have missed this. They've missed the irony of the constitution of the PAL now having subsumed the Pontifical Academy for Life, that is, so many pro-death culturists. That is, it could be called the Pontifical Academy for Death, just as aptly as the Pontifical Academy for Life. That's what I've got for you today, as well as some responses to the continued Pope Splainers out there who shouldn't even be giving responses. They should do what they do best, don't even respond to this news. Don't try to respond to it and lie and make it go away. Listen to this National Catholic Register headline. Pope Francis praises pro-abortion economists on papal commission in remarks about women. Francis said a bunch of stupidly identitarian feminist stuff about how everything gets better when you put women in charge. He's evil. And... He didn't back down at all on uh, his, his appointment of this woman. Uh, in his in-flight comments from Bahrain to Rome, the Holy Father also said the appointment of a woman as vice governor of the Vatican city-state and the inclusion of women on the Council for the Economy has been a benefit to the Vatican. The, the, he mentioned the most recent appointment of pro-abortion economist to the Pontifical Academy for Life. This is not the first one. Like I said in opening, everyone out there seems to think this is the first one, and it's not. I feel crammed today. What's with that? <laughs> I've seen that in the Vatican, says the Pope. Every time a woman comes in to do work with the Vatican, things get better. He said on a November the 6th flight to Rome from Bahrain, every time he's talking on in-flight pressers, something, something nasty is going to come out of that, that old mouth of his. He mentioned several positions now filled by women, also citing by name, pro-abortion economist Mariana Matsukato, who's actually an American. And now I put on the family council, Matsukato, who's a great economist from the United States, to give a little more humanity to this. Matsukato, known for her work promoting the public sector's role, that means the government, its role in encouraging innovation, 
was among seven academics appointed by the Pope on October the 15th to serve five-year terms with the PAL. In his comments, Pope Francis said, uh, this is a National Catholic Register article, by the way, uh, of the last 12 hours. Pope Francis said the appointment of a woman as vice governor of the Vatican City State. Pius X said women should never be in politics, that it's an evil. It follows from all of our teachings in the Roman Catholic Church. He also said the inclusion of women on the Council for the Economy has been a benefit to the Vatican. Uh, moving from all men to having five women on the Council for the Economy was, quote, a revolution, Francis says, a revolution, a sex revolution. Because women know how to find the right way, they know how to move forward. Something about these old, old guys like Francis, that generation, they think it's so revolutionary, and this is what he intones here, to, to, to be identitarian, to say, oh, young people are the future. Young people don't respond to that kind of lie. But young people know, in some chronological sense, they're necessarily the future, but they know they need to learn from the wisdom of elders. Women know that they don't know how to find a right way, particularly in masculine endeavors like politics. They do not. Don't lie. Well, that's what Francis does. It's become habit. Mazzucato's appointment to the Life Academy through criticism due to her outspoken advocacy for abortion rights, the article says, including the tweeting and retweeting of pro-abortion statements concerning the Supreme Court's decision to return abortion law to the states. In other words, Mazzucato, new appointee to the Academy for Life, was upset that this summer... Roe versus Wade was overturned from my home state now, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. She was mad. I, you're not stupid, <clears throat> parish orphans and retrogrades, the way the Pope Splanners think you are. I'm not going to say anything more about this. A woman who was upset at Dobbs, the ruling in Dobbs, the overturn of Roe versus Wade, is Pope Francis's choice for the Pontifical Academy for Life. It's under such an evil, evil man as Francis, it is no better than the Pontifical Academy for Death. I mean, you already know all the stuff. Listen to some of the defenses by Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia. <coughs> Well, I'm going to read you that in a second. Because everyone, he, he's the president of the Pontifical Academy for Life. Bad dude also. Not as evil as Francis, but a bad dude also. They're all having to defend it within 24 hours because, I don't know, if a uh, university, my, uni my undergrad university, a, a relatively small public institution, had a Holocaust studies uh, interdepartment, interdepartmental department. If they were to appoint a pro-Nazi professor, a pro-Hitler professor, to that department. It would cause a stir. It would cause a disproportionately loud stir, I'll add, as the Kanye West, Kyrie Irving, Candace Owens ongoing debacle regarding um, the people of Israel proves. It would be disproportionately voluble. If a university put onto a Holocaust inter 
disciplinary studies department, a nominee who liked Hitler or, or liked the Nazis or liked National Socialism or liked any corollary of any of these three, if they'd even approved tacit consent to a corollary of any of these three, to a corollary of a corollary of any of these three, everyone would go nuts, they'd go far too nuts, and you'd be sick about the story. You'd be sick of hearing it soon. Okay, this isn't that big of a deal, you'd say. If a corollary of a corollary of a corollary of this kind of antinomial, counterintuitive appointment were to be made at the level of one of the, the you know, modern universities, many ostensibly left-leaning departments. But in our case, with the Pontifical Academy for Life, we have appointee after appointee who is for death, evil witches like this, like this lady, Mariana Mazzucato. And so, of course, of course, it's stupid. Only someone as silly and dishonest as a Pope Splainer would defend this. Or be silent on it. No, you're right. You can either lie or you can be silent. It's the Pontifical Academy for Life. It's indefensible to have a wild enthusiast for fetal death, one so wild that she was really upset and tweeting like a frantic woman, the frantic woman she is, when Dobbs was released. And I'd argue that it shows how little the Pope respects women, that this is the representative that he chose to show women's humanity. He picked the crappiest woman he could find to represent the humanity of women. Agreed. Though I don't like the hint of identitarianism in there. No, but I mean, it's the fine. point is that he's trying to find somebody that shows the humanity of women. Why did he pick the crappiest representative he could think of? Well, and just get all men, right? Get all men. Go back. I mean, let's... let's uh, I mean, everyone knows what I'm going to say. Right? I'm not into repetition the way a lot of YouTubers are. You know what I'm going to say about Pope Francis's feminist identitarianism. It's disgusting. Just if you want a good academic for the Pontifical Academy for Life, get a pro life, bright male. This is a male position. It's a male issue, right? It's not a female issue. Of course, I relish saying that. We're going to get to what Paglia said in his pathetic, waifish attempts to Pope explain this horrible new decision from Pope Francis in a second. But first, I want to encourage all of you, like this video, subscribe to the channel, and click the notification bell. Please, please, please. We're trying. We're getting drastic gains on Twitter because of whatever's going on with Elon Musk having taken over the reins. We'd like drastic gains on YouTube. We're, it proves one point at least since Elon took over Twitter. I was never the kind of cat to sit back and say, "Well, I'm not getting much growth on Twitter, or not the growth I'd like anyway." It must be the algorithm. Everyone says, everyone says that to me. Oh, Tim, you've been at 20,000 subscribers on Twitter for six months. It must be algorithm. I'm like, I don't know. Or maybe I'm just not tweeting what people like. I'm not, I don't slip into victim mentality. But I've gotten about 400 new 
Twitter folks over the last couple of weeks, which I hadn't, I hadn't gotten 400 in, it took me a year to get 400. And in two and a half weeks, I've gotten 400. So I'm loath to accept that the victim mindset, this must be what's going on. Same thing with YouTube, I guess, though I'm not sure. But at any rate, if you watch my videos regularly or semi-regularly, like them, subscribe, click the notification bell, please. It sounds like one of those things you get used to hearing and, you, and ignoring, but it actually helps. Leave a comment too. I'm, gonna, I'm tackling a lot today, not just this story. So stay tuned. Also, the midterm elections are tomorrow. I've been telling you for quite some time, you got to get the hell out of your blue state. Get to a red state. How do you do it? Go to realestateforlife.org. Someone who's good, probably a Catholic, definitely a pro-lifer, will make your job easy. Selling and buying houses. A house. Selling a house and buying a house. One-to-one. For most of you. Unless you want like an extra house. Sell one, buy two. Most of us can't do that. Go to realestateforlife.org and they will help you get the hell out of your blue state. Please do so. It's not like it's too late because tomorrow's the midterm election, but you're going to find out what crazy new psyop the left has cooked up for this country. They know they're about to get shellacked tomorrow. And so they have a plan. They always have a plan. <clears throat> okay. So Pope Francis continues to prevaricate and to destroy the Roman Catholic Church according to the designs of the Sancte Gallen Mafia. The Pope Splainers continue to Pope Splain. I have a few things to address this time. I, I'm, I'm a little, I confess, I'm a little upset. And the Pontifical Academy for Life, like all the institutions within the church, is being run aground, as it has been for the last 10 years. And none of it, all of it, I should say, all of it's an intellectual turd. Do you guys get how much of an intellectual zero any of this is? Like, I just, I'm coming from a debate, an in-person debate, with a sharp enough guy, right? Josh Hammer, editor of Newsweek. I want to get that video up for you if we could get the footy. And, and we're, we're chasing that down. I did quite well. He did quite badly. So, as has happened before, uh, this happened in my most recent in-person debate. We've done some online, but my most recent one was with Trent Horn. They they didn't really want to. They still make that video hard, that, that that audio hard to find. I wonder why. Tell. So, I maybe 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 it's just bad luck the first week, but that video audio should be coming up momentarily. Hopefully, it didn't get lost to the archives or didn't get destroyed by force of God, by act of God, or by man. But the point is, I'm coming off of a debate with, with a pretty rigorous debater, sharp mind. So hearing all the nonsense over the last three or four days that I've heard in defense of this, I, the only thing I can call him is, is a pervert, Pope Francis. Not necessarily a sexual pervert, not necessarily that, but one who wants to pervert the faith. He's a pervert. If there was a term like a subvert for one who wanted to subvert the faith or an invert, then I would say that. But he's, he wants to pervert the faith. And he's perverted the Pontifical Academy of Life so much that its namesake is now a clown world 
Exhibit A. Pontifical Academy for Life is being populated by pro-death advocates. And he said some pretty wacky stuff. And I'm sick of this man. I am sick of this pontiff. I'm sick to death of this pontiff. I'm sick of having to have these inane conversations. I'm sick of it. Can I, can I say that? Is that violating some... You said it like five times. I'm yeah. sick of him. Are you guys sick of this guy? He's a joke. He's an unfunny, harmful... Bueno Cero's a joke. That's what he is. He's a joke. The people he represents are a joke, but they're also harmful. The LGBTQ lobby, the feminist lobby, the abortion lobby, the divorcee lobby, all the sex perverts that he represents, that this pontificate almost monolithically stands for, is a joke, but it's not funny. It hurts, it harms. Folks are losing their faith every day, and the gaslighters in the church... Blame the folks for losing their faith. When your leader is a stumbling block, many of you will go astray. I urge you not to. We know lots of people, you and I, common folks that you and I know, that have gone astray because of what a pervert, not necessarily a sex pervert, but someone who perverts the faith and stands on behalf of sex perverts, this this guy is. He's a clown. Very, but he's like, a, he's like the clown in Stephen King's The It. He's dangerous. He's frightening in a way. He's a clown. He's a bozo. Listen to this. Listen to what he says. I just listen to the way he talks. Have we ever had a pope that talked this way? He wants to give more humanity to the Pontifical Academy for Life. So he puts someone on there that advocates for killing humanity. He's having fun with ironies. That's what he does. He's poking fun at all of us faithful Catholics whom he hates. So uh, me pointing it out isn't like, oh, listen to the ironical thing he said. It's not deep. That's the problem. I can't even, I'm an insightful commentator. I can't even give insightful commentary because this is all so on the nose. It's just a joke. We have a Pope that hates Catholicism. A Pontifical Academy for Life that hates pro-lifers, loves abortion. A sex ethics department of the Vatican that's teaching LGBTQ and basically grooming. This is a story that broke back in 2018. Basically has grooming pamphlets. They refuse to get rid of the, the uh, homopredators. And they, they say that it's because we have too much formalism. And clericalism, that's what's molesting young boys, sodomizing young boys. Now, it wasn't a a, a male sex pervert. It was this abstraction, clericalism. And and the Pope's planners continue to put a wall of separation between, they're like, no, no, I don't like any of this evil stuff that's happening, but it has nothing to do with the Pope. He's not really in charge of the church. He's not the one defending all this evil. He's not the one 
animating all this evil. It's not him, but I hate all the evil. It's amazing some of you guys go for that. I don't mean all of you. I don't even think I mean most of you, but a lot of you guys are still, you're spitting back these trite, stupid, Pope-splaining platitudes at me on Twitter or in the comments here. I told you I'm a bit perturbed. They are stupid. I'm going to address the, the platitudes. I'm going to address one of them at the end of this video. A great economist from the United States will give more humanity. Well, let's see what Paglia says. Oh, boy. This is just, tell me this is not, uh, what's it called? The seamless garment. Convinced that poverty, inequality, and economic systems are killing millions of people each year and threatening the dignity of many more people, the Pope appointed an economist to the Pontifical Academy for Life. This is, what, what the hell am I reading from? Is that, uh, is this National Catholic Distorter? It feels like it. Look up Cindy Wooden, would you please, Stevie? Let me just see the, um, the title. Academy but, for Life President... Yeah, that's National Catholic uh, NCR Online. Is that Distorter or is that NCR Reporter or Register? The first line reads like a reporter article. NCR NCRegister.com. Yeah, I think NCR Online is a reporter, right? Distorter. Someone in the I comments think throw it at so. me. I'm too yeah, perturbed today yeah, to do. NCR is reporter. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm not just saying it or something. He used to listen to Michael Savage a lot, and he would he would say things he all already knew, and pitch them as things like, "Oh, I'm not sure, but I, I have a good feel for this this writing style of NCR or something like that." And then he'd pretend to double check, and he would. I, I really am like, wait, for a moment, I'm thinking this is Register, but it's really Reporter, and I I could I thought I could tell by this stupid first sentence. Convinced that poverty, inequality, and economic systems are killing millions of people each year, which they're not. They're not. And threatening the dignity of many more people. They're not. Dignity has to do with image and likeness of God. They're not. Pope Francis appointed an economist to the Pontifical Academy for Life. Doesn't say what kind of a economist. A murder advocate to the Pontifical Academy for Life. If that were National Catholic report, uh, Register, they would have been like, hey, it's a murderer. If that were Ed Penton, it would be well written and well thought through. But the nomination of Mariana Mazzucato, a professor of, the, of economics of innovation and public value at University College London, raised concern in some quarters because of her, in some quarters, in some quarters. <laughs> this sounds like I'm reading from the flipping NY Times. It doesn't sound like a Catholic rag. In some quarters raised concern uh, because her retweets or positive comments on tweets in June criticizing the U.S. Supreme Court decision to overrule Roe v. Wade and affirm that there is no constitutional right to abortion in the United States. This is a Catholic rag. I know you guys will go, but Tim, it's really not Catholic. I know, I know. It, but it is, though. It is. It's a Catholic rag. Mazzucato's nomination, as well as the nomination of six other new members, was announced by the Vatican on October 15th. In the wake of the criticism, Archbishop Vincenzo Paglia, Paglia, that's what we should say, Paglia, uh, president of the Academy, uh, Paglia, president of the Academy, 
told Vatican News Service October the 20th that all the members, including Mazzucato, have at heart the value of human life in their area of expertise. What the F? WTF. I am not going to, I don't, I don't respect any of these people. What are, what are we supposed to say? Your eminence to an archbishop? No. Mazzucato has at heart the value of human life in her area of expertise. It's too obvious. I can't even say something clever. It's impossible. You just... <sighs> I need to, we need to get some more fruit in this household or something. <laughs> Fiber? I don't, I don't mean... I don't mean we're having issues with digestion. I mean, I, I have to calm... I have to find a way... To calm become less ocean. upset. Yeah, calm, calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. I don't run. I'm not a high-strung guy. But I, it's getting to me. Don't worry about me, but it's getting to me. They are not all Catholics, he said, and do not profess all the tenets of the Catholic faith. And we know there are differences on the level of ethics, but they defend life in its entirety. Sentence three above. This woman was liking tweets about the Supreme Court decision being erroneous. Dobbs. Dobbs. And then three sentences down from that, they're claiming... We know there are differences <laughs> on the level of ethics, but they defend life it's an in its entirety. Now, the only way, the only possible index for this remark could be if he's adverting to... The seamless garment. This bullshit about the entirety of life constituting the pro-life position. Let me say something for the record. Ecumenically, as a Christian, I care what happens to all Christians and all non-Christians in their lives and wish them the best. As a pro-lifer, is a matter of definition and a matter of course. I don't take stock of what happens to people aside from at the very beginning and the very end of their life. Did you hear that, Paglia? Do you hear that National Catholic reporter? As a human, as a Christian, as a Christian humanist, I care what happens. I, I wish the best for all people from wire to wire, from the cradle to the grave. That, but, 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 Bracket that. Like Husserl's epistemological epoche. Bracket it. We're not considering that. As pro-lifers, the church has reaffirmed this position time and again. We don't give a hoot what happens between wire and wire. As pro-lifers, St. Thomas Aquinas would say we are prescinding. We are prescinding from what happens between the cradle and the grave. As pro-lifers, what we care about is abortion and euthanasia. Maybe a conceptual corollary in addition to those, but I'm not going to talk about it. Not poverty. Who cares from a pro-life position? This is a faulty, erroneous, false teaching. The so-called seamless garment, which says that these other issues are a part and a parcel of the pro-life position. Poverty, 
non-egalitarianism. Well, non-egalitarianism. The church just rejects egalitarianism. Sorry. Um, not everyone should have equal property. Men and women aren't the same, don't have the same role of authority. So to take a hike there. But poverty and the like, it's progeny, starvation, all that. This is not part of the life issue. Everything pros hen is related to life, but it's not a pro-life issue. And this was pitched by Cardinal Bernadin, Satanist, evil prelate from Chicago. And it's been repudiated by the church. This evil way to shunt into church teaching pro-abortion murderous hags like this Monsicato, the way they just did, even though it's been rejected formally by the church, the seamless garment model of what constitutes the pro-life position. And they just keep coming. Like divorce for the uh, like communion for the divorced and civilly remarried was shot down in 1983-84, and the same parties just waited for John Paul II, a tepid conservative at best. I don't even think he was that. They just wait for him to die. These guys are old. What do old people do? They die. Old people die. Old prelates die. Old bishops and archbishops die. Cardinals can't even vote up until the time they die. They just wait them out. They're determined, and you conservatives out there are soft you are probably wringing your hands over the fact that i'm getting angry it's not you it's we we conservatives are pathetic they wait us out they're tireless they never sleep they're training they never get back on the couch for the proverbial pugilistic fight of uh modernism and postmodernity that we're living through and we never get our asses off the couch we're always, and I, I don't mean just, oh, well, no, Zordo people are like that. Trads, too. Trads are as asleep at the wheel with the feminist infiltration of the church as no Zordo people. And with seamless garment, we're like, well, this was repudiated by the church, so next. They'll just bring it back, well, like they did with communion for the divorce and civilly remarried. And you guys will be talking about what words I used to condemn the evil instead of the evil itself. I don't know what else to say. This is why we always lose. Look at the playbook of someone who always wins, the evil guys in the church, the left, and see what stinking works. Look at the playbook of the perennial losers and see what doesn't work. It's talking about All these concepts that go over the majority of lots of Christians' heads that they're constantly adverting to, like charity and hermeneutics. Oh, we have to give our hermeneutics of of, uh, interpretive charity. We we have to offer to the Pope a hermeneutics. He might have said there are four persons in the Trinity, but could he have meant the three persons plus the Trinity itself counts as the four? It's just making stuff up. A statement from the Academy, PAL, said on October the 19th, the PAL is a body of study and research 
So debate and dialogue take place among people from different backgrounds. Why? Why do we have these foreigners, Catholic foreigners, in our home making decisions for us? Why? Why do we have people from different backgrounds? I don't get it. We don't want foreigners in our church. They don't want us in theirs, telling them how to run their made-up human religion. They don't want us. That's fine. I don't want to be in their mosques or synagogues or whatever the hell you meet at if you're one of the polytheist laps. I don't want any of that. I don't. What I want is us to do our thing and them to do theirs. And, and leave us alone. Leave the doctrine alone. If we had a good Pope, this is how it would be. <sighs> In addition, the statement noted after academicians recommend new members and before they are appointed by the Pope, they're vetted through consultation with the Apostolic Nuncio and Bishop's Conference of the countries where they live and work. Why, why do I care about any of that? This happened in, the, in this case as well, and there were no problems. Well, guess what, dipshit? There were problems. You know how I know? Because you just put a pro-abortion witch on the Pontifical Academy for Life. This is just how academics talk. Well, the seven of us or the 10 of us or the 20 of us, we formed a council. And what the, the point of the council is to, to vet. And we vetted it. QED. Since we had our eyes on it and we vetted this woman, that must mean she's good. No, it doesn't mean that. It just means you're all morons. Pontifical Academy for Life. Whoever vetted her and said, let's have Matsukato. They're appointed on the basis of their academic qualifications, meaning they're pencil neck dweebs who get everything wrong. Also, their professional integrity, professional expertise, and faithful service in the defense and promotion of the right to life of every human person. Well, where were you on that one? Hmm? That last element? Is it an element test where you have to pass all of them or a factor test by which Matsukato was just added to the PAL? Because that last element, faithful service in the defense and promotion of the right to life of every human person, that's a big whiff. So it's got to be a factor test, right? This can't be, I mean, no one can be saying that she faithfully served the defense and promotion of the right to life of every human person. Just impossible. The Academy is definitely against abortion. Absolutely, Paglia told CNS. Is this a CNS art? He and the Academy are also against euthanasia, against assisted suicide, against social inequalities. Oh, I, I don't care whether you're against social inequalities. That's not, that's not something the church should even be weighing in on. Against the death penalty. Well, the Catholic Church isn't. Against arming children. What the? F against violence? What about justified violence? We're the Catholic Church. We gave the world... The just war tradition. Is arming children like a, a nationwide problem? <laughs> These people are either. I mean, I don't mean they can be both. I mean, Francis is an evil guy. Anyone that's following him inside the Vatican is a moron, unless they're just evil as well. Arming children? 
is a big problem? That's a big focus of the Institute? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Letting them have butter knives at dinner? The hell are you talking about? Arming children? How about the PAL takes as its main spearhead the arming of mothers against their children? How about that? Because that's a big problem. Mothers murdering their children. That's called abortion. And that's what the Pontifical Academy for Life was erected to combat. But the arming of children, well, I would, would to God, that you could arm little fetuses in the womb against their murderous mothers. Oh, that would be delightful. That would be natural law justice. If you could arm, so I, I don't agree with you on most of these, but especially not on the one of the, the tenet against arming children. If you could arm fetuses against their murdersome mothers, that'd be beautiful. That'd be God's justice. Against every coercive power, well, that, that would, these guys are just dumb. They're just dumb. Every coercive power? So, sovereign international immunity principles? The principles of, of sovereignty? Prerogative? having nations at all, against all forms of totalitarianism. These people are a joke. He said that the choice of Matsukato came from the recommendation of several academicians to address attacks on life that come from inequality, the archbishop said, pointing out that according to Save the Children, some two million child children die of malnutrition each year. Obviously, the Pontifical Academy for Life cannot ignore this tragic situation, he said. Obviously, it can. That's not your job. That's not your mandate. I, I don't want to read the rest of this. It's too boring and stupid. Francis also said, three world wars in one century? Be pacifists. He's either making a joke or trolling, or he's dumb as well as evil. Three, three world wars in one century. I, I don't know what he's talking about. I, I, I just, reading these get too tiresome. Oh my gosh. I have been thinking, he said, a lot these days about how the idea of the Abu Dhabi document came about. Remember when he said God wills the diversity of religions, meaning God wants the false pagan faiths? To exist, and then he changed it, then he changed it back, then he changed it back, back. He had come to me, the Grand Imam, to the Vatican for a courtesy visit after a protocol meeting took place. It was almost lunchtime and he was leaving, and as I was accompanying him to bid him goodbye, I asked him, where are you going for lunch? This is a great story, by the way. This is really important. I don't know what he said to me. Wait, where are you going to, where are you going to lunch? Where am I going to lunch? I mean, but I'm not telling a story about how I asked a guy to lunch. What just happened? You looked horrified. I just don't like stories about lunch. <laughs> we decided, I don't know what he said to me, but we decided to have lunch together. Sounds like they're having a language issue. <laughs> this this Middle Eastern man and this uh, Buenos Aires Let's hear tyrant. more about the lunch details. Yeah. It was something that came from within. Oh, hopefully not your lunch. <laughs> You're regurgitating lunch for your friend. Then, sitting at tabla, table, 
He, his secretary, two counselors, me, my secretary, my counselor. We took the bread, broke it, and gave it to each other. He's playing, he's playing on the communion. Take the bread, broke it, and gave it to each other. A gesture of friendship offering the bread. It was a very nice lunch, very fraternal. And toward the end, I don't know who came up with the idea, but we said, why don't we make a paper about this meeting? It sounds gay. Riveting. <laughs> so the Abu Dhabi document was born. It sounds like you ate lunch, same as every human being does, roughly noontide, every day of the year. The two secretaries got to work with a draft going back and forth. And finally, we took advantage of the Abu Dhabi meeting to publish it. It was something that came from God. It was not. It can't have come. So he's claiming inspiration for the Abu Dhabi document. Cue the Pope's planers. They're going to be. He, he said it came directly from God. I didn't even, I, I don't even know why I started reading this part, where Francis is mainly talking at, uh, to Catholic News Service about his idiotic remarks about women. But this part was really, it, it drew my attention for some reason. You can't understand it otherwise, other than coming from God, because none of us had this in mind. That's just, that's called a coincidence. That doesn't mean it came from God. It emerged during a friendly lunch, and that is a big thing. No, it's not. It's a boring thing. And a stupid thing, I'd too. like to hear more about what they actually had for lunch. Then I, then I kept thinking, I don't care for my part. <laughs> then I kept thinking, and the Abu Dhabi document was the basis of Fratelli Tutti. Uh, what I wrote about human friendship and Fratelli Tutti is based on the Abu Dhabi document. Okay, I believe that one cannot think of such a path without thinking of a special blessing from the Lord in this path. He's just blathering on about why he thinks it's a holy document. I want to say this out of justice. It seems right that you know how the Lord inspired this path. I didn't even, but it, it wasn't. You had an error in there and you had to correct yourself, Mr. Divine Inspiration. I didn't even know what the grand imam's name was. And then we became friends and did something as two friends. And now we talk every time we meet. Well, everyone talks every time they meet. This, is, this isn't special. Every time I meet my garbage man, if I have to make a request, we talk. It doesn't mean you're great friends. I think Pope Francis suffers from... He's not a bro. I don't think he has enough friends around. St. Gallen Mafia don't count. The document is relevant today and work is being done to make it known. This is too boring to read. I'm starting to sound like Michael Savage in his late shows. Um, Your Holiness, this is CNS. During this trip to Bahrain... You spoke about fundamental rights, including women's rights, their dignity, the right to have their space in the social and public sphere, and you encourage young people to have courage, to make noise. Remember when he said to make a mess? To move forward toward a more just world. Remember when some of the, the homos at the CDF took him literally and made a mess with drugs and male prostitutes? Remember that in 2017? They took him a little literally. <laughs> Ugly mess. To move forward to a more just world. Given the situation close by in Iran, with the protests sparked by some women and many young people who want more freedom, do you support this effort of women and men demanding to have the basic rights that are also found in the document on human fraternity? And Pope Francis begins to answer, We have to tell each other the truth. The struggle for women's rights is an ongoing struggle. No, it's not. You're wrong. Everything you say is wrong. How, how are you even accidentally wrong all the time, holiness? He's not even 
even right one time. Like a broken clock is right one twice time. Twice a yes, day? Twice a day. He's not even, he's, like, it's, he's right none time. The struggle for women's rights is not an ongoing struggle. Because in some places, women have equality with men. No, in no places they do. In places like America, we pretend as transsexuals now. We're a transsexual nation. We pretend that men and women are equals, but we're not equals. We'll never be equal in rank. So you're wrong there too. I remember when in the 1950s in my country, when there was the struggle for women's civil rights, for women to be able to vote. Because until about the 50s, only men could do so. Sounds amazing. By the way, 100% for that. And I think of this same struggle, you know, tomorrow's voting day. That sounds amazing. Only men can vote. And I think of this same struggle in the U.S. But why, I ask myself, does the woman have to struggle like this to keep her rights? Because it violates the natural law. Because they're not real rights. Genius. There is a, I don't know if it is a legend. Oh, maybe we're getting to Pachamama. A legend about the origin of women's jewelry. Maybe it's a legend, you said that already, that explains the cruelty of so many situations against women. It is said that women wear so much jewelry because in a country, I don't remember, perhaps it's a historical fact. Well, maybe you shouldn't be telling the story. You're being quoted by a major periodical. <laughs> maybe it's a legend. Maybe it's a fact. Maybe I just made it up. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe is it a legend? Maybe it happened. Maybe it did. Maybe I made it up. Maybe I didn't. Yeah. Why not, why not get your facts straight, Holy Father? There was a custom that when the husband got fed up with the woman, he would say to her, get out, and she couldn't go back in and take anything. She had to leave with what was on her, and why they would amass gold to be able to take something away. They say that is the origin of jewelry. I don't know if it's true or not, but the image helps us. No, no, it doesn't help us, and it's not true. And there, You can't fabricate a story. He probably made this up on the spot. Something is, a story is not just helpful because you made it up on the spot, Holy Father, the way you make everything up that you say publicly. Rights are fundamental, he says. But how come in the world today, and this is all kind of back justification for why he has an abortion woman, a pro-abortion woman, on the Pontifical Academy for life now. All this talk, the guy, have you ever been around someone that just won't shut his mouth? Have you ever been around, stuck around one of these people at a party? This is Francis. He won't shut up. Look at this. Just pages of text. Pages of text. All blather. It's all talking. He's trying to circle a square. It's all, here's why I can change doctrine. Uh, Amoris Laetitia, the longest, the longest post-synodal exhortation in the history of the church. Why? He takes all that extra time because... He has to run around like Michael Scott to do something that it's impossible to do. Make it okay for public adulterers, people who are divorced and remarried, to get communion. And he just runs around and wastes your time for 300 pages and then sticks it in a footnote. Or here's why. I don't want to say it directly because it would be too obvious without... This is what dishonest lawyers do to other lawyers. They paper them under. He papers you under with bullshit. That's all it is. It's blather, this guy. He's allegedly a, just an incessant talker. You could tell. 
Rights are fundamental, but how come in the world today we cannot stop the tragedy of young girls' infibulation? This is terrible today. The fact that this practice exists, blah, blah, blah. Lunch, this is jewelry, all lunch, jewelry, jewelry a made-up legend that I just, I'm lying about. I just pulled it out of thin air right now. It's helpful either way. No, it's not. It comes from God either way, even if it's wrong. No, it doesn't. You're lying. You're blathering. No one listens to you, Holy Father. Do you understand? This is what he's doing, all this. He's talking about amphibulation in Muslim countries. Young girls are infibulated because of Islam. Not because of anything else. Do you know how it works with a bottom line cat like yours truly? Well, that's because of Islam. That's because of their false religion. And women are abused in that religion. It is a false patriarchy in that religion. It's not because of all these abstractions that you've lined up to say the opposite of the truth. You know why our Western countries are so wrecked? In addition to you, you're one of the causes, Holy Father. It's because, it's because of women like the pro-abortionist, the feminist that you just put on the Pontifical Academy for Life and goons who will goose step along to the Holy Father who put a pro-abortionist on the Pontifical Academy of Life. That's what's wrong with the world today. Women, according to two comments I heard, are either disposable material, that's bad, or they are a protected species. Well, now, depending on that second one, that could be a lot closer to the actual Catholic teaching. This guy, Pope Francis, hasn't pretended to expound on Catholic teaching since 2013, 2014. Yeah, he just talks. He talks to grand imams, talks to his communist friends in the South American countries, talks to certain colleagues in America, talks to some of the LGBTQ plants in, I don't know, probably the Episcopate. He talks to those folks, but he doesn't talk to anyone that cares about Catholic doctrine. I, I, I have to skip all this blather. He's literally, God didn't create man and then give him a little dog for fun. That's what he's saying women are. Women aren't. He didn't. He created them equal, man and woman. No, that's not what the Bible said. He did not create them equal. That's not what the patristics said. That's not what the scholastics said. He created them complementarian, not equal. Complementarian's not equal. He created man in charge and woman to subserve. In a dignified way. But he did not create them equal. Equal means neither of them subserves and neither of them is in charge. You're lying, Holy Father, as you always do. It's true. Now, he does mention complementarity here. He even uses the word. He says, because each have a different gift. They know how to run things in another way, women do, which is not inferior, it is complementarity. No, women don't know how to run things. That's a male charism. It is complementarity does not mean that we're each equal leaders, and we just do it in different ways. That's a perversion, a lie of the definition of complementarity. Complementarity means men lead, women follow in, within families and within the wider society. Women have their own way of solving problems, which is not a man's way. Both ways must work together. No. Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't, don't uh, female religious communities also, aren't they led by the local priests in the area? 
Of course, they're right. all under the signship. So even of, outside of like vocation of marriage, the female religious have to obey. Obviously, their their bishop. But I, from what I've understood, from even the cloistered um, sisters that we were around, the the priests that would come to visit them to say mass, like they were still it's the equivalent of a parochial vicar. Yeah, it might even be you have the term, but yes, obviously women are only in charge temporarily as lieutenants, the the, the head mother. They're always under a man. Whether you go the religious life, you're under a parochial vicar or some equivalent. Under a male bishop, as that parochial vicar will be. But it should be a male parochial vicar. Or you go into the married life, under a husband. Not equal. He says every time a woman comes to do a job in the Vatican, things get better. For example, the vice governor of the Vatican is a woman. The vice governor is a woman and things have changed for the best. That, that doesn't prove anything. I, I don't know what to do. I'm not saying there is something to do. I just This just gets worse and worse. In another article, this is also Catholic News Agency, we have to keep fighting for women's equality. Now, you do what you're going to do. Ultimately, you stand for relativism, Globalism, you, you fight for that. I'm not going to fight for that. But that's not Christianity. Ultimately, what we have to fight for is women to be restored to the home where they can be protected and they can no longer fall under delusions of societal leadership. That's ultimately what we have to do. Now, this is the good news. Whether this... this blasphemy, farce, insult, indignity on the Pontifical Academy for Life. There needs to be corrections. Do you remember two months ago when the Pontifical Academy for Life published a 500-plus page book saying that they're going to change the teaching on contraception? Do you remember that? And that's the third conceptual issue that that counts as pro-life. Abortion, Euthanasia, and I said one corollary related to abortion, contraception, artificial contraception. And Francis headed the Pontifical Academy for Life, tasked them presumptively with publishing this 500-page book, which says that contraception is about to change, which, again, they've been waiting that out since, Pope, you know it, Paul VI a liberal who disappointed liberals by giving us humana vitae. So what do they do? They wait for the couple of tepid center-leftists, center-rightists, whatever you call JP2 and Benedict XVI. I don't want to get into that discussion. They wait for them to die. They're vigilant. They're ever watchful. And now they run the Pontifical Academy for Life, the bad guys. There's some good guys. I know some of the professors that are the associates some of the American ones. And they're, they're going to give another run at making licit, this illicit, dogmatically illicit thing. Contraception. Uh, experts expose errors in Pontifical Academy for Life book. Where did this go? It's too much some days. 
The expert noted that John Paul II warned against confusing the law of gradualness with the gradualness of the law. As, oh, just more words. As if there were different degrees or forms of precept in God's law for different individuals or situations. This is correct. The law of gradualness supposes that we are all invited to fully live the proposals of the church, even if we manage to reach them little by little. From our personal capacities and circumstances, counting on grace and being accompanied to overcome difficulties. Pope Francis guides us along these lines, strongly emphasizing the importance of accompaniment and merciful discernment of the spouses with regard to spousal contraception. It is necessary to face all these situations in a constructive way, trying to transform them into an opportunity for a journey toward the fullness of marriage and the family in the light of the gospel. It is a matter of welcoming and accompanying them with patience and gentleness. That's from Amoris Laetitia. The gradualism of the law would mean, on the contrary, that there are different laws for different people and in different circumstances. And that's really what Pope Francis has stood for for 10 years. So, I just wanted to remind you guys that there are these experts hailing from the PAL that are like, look, it's, they're basically saying it's been overrun. Not only are there abortionists at the Pontifical Academy for Life, but there are pro contraception goons that are among those academicians on the Pontifical Academy for Life. It's really a lot. It's a lot to deal with. We're really inundated. It's really bad. Can I please have my phone? So I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what you guys make of this. Leave a comment. Let me know. Let me know where you're at. As we approach the decade mark of this pontificate, things are feeling different. Feels like something, I don't know. Feels like Francis no longer feels bound to pretend to be Catholic. That's a, that's a major way I've been feeling the last six months. And as we get closer to that decade mark, I, 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 I'm not one of these intuitive guys. I'm an analytical type, but I've been strongly intuiting. In, in a lot of it's analytical. A lot of it stems from analysis which reflects a commitment on the part of the pontiff to coming out, coming out revolutionary. He's using that R word a lot. Coming out and just saying, look, we have to make a full break with the previous 2,000 years. I really sense that coming. Strongly. I strongly sense that coming. And it's the law of gradualness working toward a moral devolution, the way it always works with Francis, dictates that it's, it's about to happen, that Francis at some point very soon just announced, look, he already said traditionalism, holding to the church's bimillennial traditions, is a sin. He said that. It's infidelity to the church. Fidelity to the church is infidelity to the church. It sounds like something from Orwell. Sounds like Napoleon and Snowball, the pigs that ran the animal farm. That's Francis. He's a pig that runs the animal farm, like Snowball and Napoleon. That's what it is. All animals are equal animals, but some are more equal than others. Ways of bending A equals A into A equals A prime. That's what it is. He's just... 
You can't write short documents, parachorphans and retrogrades, when you're going to say A equals the opposite of A, A prime. You have to write the longest document ever and bore people to tears and lull them to sleep. If the document just said A equals A prime, people would be like, no. Well, a lot of people would, not the Pope's explainers. I don't know what to do. I can't believe that there are Pope's explainers at this stage in the game. I'm honestly, I'm honestly very disheartened. I really am. <clears throat> I did a tweet that quoted Thomas Aquinas recently from the Summa Theologiae, second part of the second part, question 33, article 45. It must be observed, however, that if the faith were endangered, a subject ought to rebuke his prelate even publicly. This is codified in Canon Law, Canon 212, in two parts of Canon 212. It essentially codifies what Francis says. If the faith were endangered, it's been endangered for at least 10 years. A subject ought to rebuke his prelate even publicly. And the, the scary thing is, when this has been invoked in very isolated instances in our Catholic bimillennial past, parish and retrogrades, it was a pope who was once, maybe twice, in his entire pontificate, accidentally breaching the faith, accidentally shaving off a corner not meaning to. The reason I don't feel compelled or impelled, impelled is the better word here. The reason I feel not impelled to be respectful is because what we have with Pope Francis is something altogether different. It's not that once or twice he's accidentally cut a corner, missed a math error and not checked his math, something like that. But we, we've had that before. Human error accrues even to the divine office when you have this mixed, partly divine, partly human institution such as the church and the pontificate specifically. <coughs> Francis is crass. He's coarse. He taught all of us what coprophagia and coprophilia are. His friends are openly evil like Cardinal Gottfried Daniels. He puts evil men in charge. He makes jokes about sickly cardinals in his college of cardinals, like uh, clearly holy ones. I, I feel so much filial piety for. Cardinal Burke, he makes jokes about him while he, he could have died. Pope Francis is an evil, evil so-and-so. And it's not just that. It's not just that he's crass. He makes disgusting analogies to um, people who eat human feces or make love to human feces. These are all things he's said in the past. Gives, at best, questionable interviews to, to communists who run La Repubblica and say, says horrible things without denying them. But he, in papal documents is actually changing the doctrine. Now, I know you can't do it. 
But what neither you nor I know, well, he can't change doctor. Uh, he can't change irreformable doctrine. Even though the difference between irreformable and reformable, Michael Lofton, is not at all clear, is it? We need some sort of meta magisterium which says, here's the clear line. We don't have that. Maybe we'll have it after Francis. But the point is, it's, it's not once or twice that he's accidentally run foul of clear Catholic doctrine. It is every day. He's openly in interviews, flippantly challenging Catholic teaching. Flippantly challenging it. Now, I am addressing Michael Lofton here because he got called out very squarely, very evenly by Peter Diamond. I never know what to call him. Brother, he calls himself Brother Peter Diamond. And Diamond very squarely, very uh, on the up and up, said, you said Francis had never made this statement. Uh, colon. It is not licit to convince others of your faith. He plays a comment, a response to the assertion of that quotation, the attribution of that quotation to Pope Francis that he had made in their debate. And then he plays fairly Michael Lofton saying, That never happened. I don't know of that. I don't know, and that never happened. Pope Francis would never say that. Still, he was saying all of these things. Denying that that ever happened, that bit of history ever happened in three or four different ways. No, I've never seen that. That never happened. Francis wouldn't say that. Categorical denial. And then Diamond played. Francis sang it twice. It is not licit. To convince others of your faith. And what Michael often proceeded to do was so dishonest that it took me aback. Right? He said, uh, he proceeded to defend. He, under the auspices, he told Matt Frad this, in Matt Frad's audience this last week, that he would come on my show. He told me, I'll come on your show. I've been waiting for two weeks now. I'll come on your show and address that. I mean, squarely just being wrong. It's the cost of doing business. If you do what he and I and seems like many others these days now do in a little home studio, you speak. Speak publicly from inside your home. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idiosyncratic trapping of modernity that I can speak publicly from in my home. If This is La Cosa Nostra. This is the business we've chosen to go Godfather on you. And if you say something that's that squarely wrong, you address it. Instead of coming on my show privately, which he used to bemoan, right? He used to call out Taylor Marshall for not doing dialogue with him. The funny thing, this is just an aside, when I want someone to come, I'm on everyone, I, you know, I've got a good reputation. I'll go, on, I'll go on someone's show. I'll have them on my show to disagree. Like I'm a debater. I'm a JD. I'm a philosopher. I'm not a theologian. So I've got it from two ends to just, let's have adversarial debate. We'll keep it as friendly as we can, but it's, it's just, it wasn't that friendly with Josh Hammer. He was starting to interrupt me. He was totally unprofessional. He was totally unprofessional, but it's fine. I respect that. We had adversarial debate. The historical nuances, when this happens, when you call someone, hey, have me on your show or I'll have you on my show and we'll debate it out, is a lot of... 
I don't know how else to say it. The cowardly types don't want to do it. And part of you, the lazy part of you, lazy part of me, are like, okay, that's fine. I'll just address it in my upstairs den without having to even adversarially engage them. It's easier. Even though I, I like the adversarial engagement and I tend to be good at it. So I think what happened a lot often is he got used to maybe Marshall saying no or other of the trads that he was calling out on Vatican II saying no. And then started to like it because it's easier to just be like, well, I, you know, then he was faultless. You know, it's enjoying that status, habituating it. And now it's like, you should go back on with Diamond or me. He told me he would. He told Frad and Frad's audience he would come on with my channel and in, in engage. Well, give me a call. I called him two and a half days ago. Didn't pick up. We we're texting. It went, it went dead, went dark. That's really bad. Yes, it's a tough situation if you're going to fight it. He did not say, he, Francis, this is Michael Often. he did not say, it is not licit to convince others of your faith. Then, Q, quotation, as I did on this show and lots of people have done. Francis saying, it is not licit to convince others of your faith. In two different ways. Two different times he said that. Well, it's a bad habit, and it's, it's a shame, and it saddens me. And these, the squabbling, silly and gay, peckish, I don't like it, but I, I don't repudiate it altogether. It needs to happen. Guys who aren't willing to be honest need to be called out, okay? I invited both Lofton and Trent Horn on this show because both of them were saying the diamond was wrong. I agree with them he's wrong about set of Vacantism in Vatican II. sure that what they offered about the council is right. But I'm 100% certain the other way that he was right about Pope Francis. And then I saw uh, very recently, maybe I'll play it for you, Lofton addressing this. Amoris Laetitia, paragraph 297. Of course, since Amoris Laetitia is so evil, written by such an evil hand, Francis's, there are like... 10 spots that are really bad. I've never heard Lofton really squarely address, okay, the purpose of Morse Letizia was the Foro Interno. Cardinal Casper's plan, borrowed from the Eastern Orthodox, to give communion to the divorce and civilly remarried. The footnote accomplished that. That's a done deal. In other words, to say that with time, a mortal sin will, of its own accord, without confession, with time, without confession, a mortal sin will just go away. That's what's happening. That's why, in case you guys don't follow this that closely, that's why it's so important. The question of divorce, uh, communion for the divorced and civilly remarried, it's the question of what does Francis believes happens with a mortal sin that by definition, because of the framework of the facts, can't be confessed. A civilly di- remarried divorcee cannot go to confession. Francis says he can go to communion. The whole point is, the logic, the inscrutable, inexorable logic, undeniable logic of Francis requires that this means that he thinks that there's some dead date, some expiration date on how long God will punish us or hold us accountable for, for grave sin, for, for mortal sin, freely chosen mortal sin. 
The fact that Francis is now magisterialized, giving communion to the divorced and civilly remarried, means he thinks that even if you don't go to confession, sin will be forgiven you. Okay, and this comes up in paragraph 297 of Amor Statizia. It doesn't get talked about by many besides myself. It's really bad. Listen to what he says. It's a matter of reaching out to everyone, of needing to help each person find his or her proper way of participating in the ecclesial community. That means church community. And thus to experience being touched by an unmerited, unconditional, and gratuitous mercy. See what I'm saying? He, unmerited, unconditional, and gratuitous mercy, he's not talking about by going to confession. Put it in context. Michael Lofton criticizes me for what I said about this, and he takes it out of context. The unmerited, unconditional, gratuitous mercy that allows us to be forgiven and to go back to communion is going to confession first. That's how it works for a Catholic. It's very basic. I just taught a class on the Baltimore Catechism. Francis doesn't square with it. The next sentence is the money line. No one can be condemned forever because that is not the logic of the gospel. Here I'm not speaking only of the divorced and remarried, but of everyone in whatever situation they find themselves. So I have famously said, since Amoris Laetitia came out, I tried to publish at some places that wouldn't accept it. Forget, forget the famous footnote heard around the world where Francis actually gives communion to the divorced and civilly remarried who have not repented. But this line, no one, no one can be condemned forever because that is not the logic of the gospel. And then he adds this statement which damns the claim even further. Here I am not speaking only of the divorced and remarried who cannot go to confession the whole purpose of this 300-page document, but of everyone in whatever situation they find themselves. Now, remember that. Everyone. He's talking about all human beings who he says cannot be condemned forever in any situation they find themselves. Michael Lofton went on Matt Frad. And he said, he was talking about me. Both of them were talking about me. Neither of them used my name. They said, you know, the person or persons who talk about that passage, 297, they are taking it out of context. Tim, Tim Gordon is taking that out of context. Why, why don't I play that for you uh, really quickly so you can, you can hear it? Because I, I, don't, I don't like to do too much it's not helpful for me to try to do too much paraphrasing. Okay, here we are. Yeah, no, we need to we need to do this here. So playback settings. I'm going to put this on fast, and we're going to go. Okay. Listen to listen to this. Are there specific examples that have kind of hit the press and blown up? Maybe blown up in the YouTube Catholic mm -hmm. sphere, uh, YouTube sphere, YouTube vlogger sphere, I guess. Uh, and then you thought, yeah, here's a classic example of something being totally taken out of context. Yeah. Yeah. In Amor Satizia, um, paragraph 297, it says something to the effect about um, it, it, it's contrary to the gospel to be condemned forever or something like that. Something along those lines. It's not exact quote, but it's paragraph 297. It's to that effect. Mm. Um, and some will say, well, see, he's denying hell. Right? Because hell has been condemned forever. And here it's saying it's contrary to the gospel to be condemned forever. And so, therefore, it's saying that there is no eternal hell. He's denying hell. And he has a false understanding of the gospel. Just read the previous paragraph, paragraph 296. It's talking about how 
The church is not able to condemn someone forever. It is not the role of the church to condemn forever, but it is the role of the church to always offer forgiveness and mercy, to make it available. Um, now, whether a person receives it or not, that's another issue, but um, it's nowhere saying that God can't condemn someone forever, which is the way they're interpreting it. It's saying the church is not that's going not to condemn true. you forever for any sin that you've done. It's always going to make the sacrament of confession available to you. You're always able to come and confess your sins and to be restored to Catholic communion. You might have to do some penance, but that's always mm. available to you. I see. That's all it was saying. If you just read the immediate context, it's not denying the gospel. It's not saying you can't be condemned forever. It's not saying God can't condemn you forever. It's just saying the church isn't going to do that because that's not the purpose of the church. That's a, one, one example. And I just mm. thought, wow. And, and that thing is still being circulated today. And, and so what I noticed is it is people will give this um, false judgment or rash judgment. They'll fail to give the judgment of charity. They'll distort something intentionally or not. I don't know. Mm. That narrative will be created and it will continue to circulate itself no matter how many times you bury it and show mm -hmm. that it's wrong. It will continue to circulate over and over and over and over and over. And whenever you have that just one time with just one area, more statistia, okay, that does some damage. But what happens when you have a hundred things that the Pope has said that are being done this way? Mm. Now you have an entire paradigm. So the problem with Lofton is he, he's not good at propositional logic. He has not buried this. The claim is that in paragraph 297 of Amoris Laetitia, since this is the Pope explaining that, that we've been talking about for the last two weeks, um, here's, here's a, a, a Lofton listener who wrote me on Twitter. First, Pope Francis says it is a matter of reaching out to everyone and then literally calls for conversion in the same paragraph, which is Lofton's argument here. Pope Francis is clearly talking about the church militant not condemning forever in this passage. Now, this is wrong. This couldn't be more wrong. It is impossible. This is now you now you get to deal with a philosopher or lawyer. I, I know you can stretch in theology under the hermeneutic of continuity. You could stretch words in logic. I was a logic professor, and I mean propositional logic. So we're dealing with thens, with categories, categorical logic. In philosophy and law, the same twisting and poetic wrangling is not available. So listen, no one can be condemned forever because that is not the logic of the gospel. Well, Pope Francis says no one, no human being can be condemned forever. He does not say one's condemned by men can't be condemned forever. That's point number one, just straight categorical logic. That, that is a fact. If you say no one on earth has ever flown by flapping their arms, it doesn't mean some, uh, that I'm constraining my argument to some subset of humans that cannot fly by flapping their arms. It means of all the humans on earth, none of them have ever flown by flapping their arms. Pope Francis literally says no one. Then they say, because they're, they're desperate, the post blamers, they will say, but, but you have to put it in context. Read paragraph 296. Read paragraph 296. The referent is ecclesial communities. Ecclesial communities means the church, right? So no man can be condemned forever. Now Lofton is, he's interpolating. He's not extrapolating. He's doing eisegesis. He's adding in. No one can be condemned forever by ecclesial communities. Because that, that phrase is used once or twice in 296 and 297. Forever. Well, okay. So point number two, in context, in the specific context of the claim that this means no one can be condemned by churches or ecclesial communities, 
Churches and ecclesial communities are not capable of condemning forever. There is only one person who is capable of rendering a judgment that lasts forever. That is God. And this has nothing necessarily to do with hell. This has to do with condemnation of mortal sin forever. Hell's a corollary. The only person capable of condemning forever is God. This is why you haven't buried it. You can't bury it. You can't bend these two parallel lines so that they'll meet somewhere in eternity, Michael Lofton. Um, so God is the unique person. So he says no one, all human beings, no, not one human being can be condemned forever. That means all human beings. Number two, the only person capable of condemning forever is not a bishop, not a pope. No pope or bishop has ever been given this charism. No human, no layman human being can condemn you forever. They don't live forever even, right? That's so, so you're lying. You're either lying or errant. No human being lives forever, nor can he render a judgment that lasts forever. The church militant is comprised of human beings who jointly and severally last between 40 and 100 years. Unless he's like aware of powers. <laughs> Magic powers? Yeah. Why would Francis be addressing powers that, are, that they don't have? That's number two. Number three. This is the kicker. Are you ready for it? The church is a human and divine institution that celebrates a birthday at when? What's the birthday of the church? The Pentecost. When did the Pentecost occur? In Acts of the Apostles, after the Gospels. You know, the Pentecost did not occur before the gospel. So when Francis renders the judgment, I'm sorry, this is how chronology works. This is how the moral and the natural law works, Michael Lofton. You can bend these arguments in theology dissertations. You can't do it in philosophy, in logic, or in rightly right-minded jurisprudence. The logic of the gospels is such that no one can be condemned forever. Well, if this is to be given the construction, the meaning, the interpreted meaning, that these, that Francis is simply saying that the church can't condemn people forever in the gospel. The church would have to pre-exist the gospel, anti, anti-date the gospel, and it doesn't. Pentecost is the birth date of the church, the birth date of ecclesial communities, which according to Lofton, who gives this construction, says that they are the ones being admonished off of rendering forever judgments. And the logic of the gospel, which definitely Francis makes the subject of the statement, it did not even exist yet. The logic of the gospel pre-exists the church. We know that the logic of the gospel which can't condemn forever, has to be something that existed during the time of the gospel, which was not the church. Sorry. Sorry. It's how chronologies work. It's why time frames are so important in trial cases. One minute can make all the difference. The Pentecost did not exist before the gospel. And number four, so those are three damning arguments that do close the issue. Francis is talking about no human being can be condemned forever by God. The whole, now we take it to paragraphs 294, 295, 296, 297. The context 
is Francis's telos for this document, viz. giving the Eucharist to unatoned adulterers, by definition unatoned adulterers, who? Remarried divorcees. Remarried divorcees, the conundrum, for those of you that are only paying half attention to all this, since Amoris Laetitia, the conundrum is, you want to return to the uh, communion, go to confession. But what if you can't go to confession? Well, what, what renders you incapable of going to confession? The fact that you're committed to a lifestyle of that sin. The, sin, the very sin you need to confess is what you're committed to continuing. You want your cake and eat it too. You want your Eucharist and eat it too. That's why this issue is so central to all of the LGBTQ people, like the Sankt Gallen agenda people. That's why it's central to Francis's pontificate. What about, they, they don't care about divorces, okay? They don't care about, divorces are heterosexual. This is all about the LGBTQ agenda. Sexual ethics are such that if you're going to continue to be married to or copulate with such and thus person, whether it's a male or a female, you cannot make a valid confession. That's very clear. He hasn't tried to change that much. So what he's saying is, what Francis has to say is, well, the logic of the gospel is with or without a confession, God won't condemn you forever. Go to confession. It's a good sacrament, but it's not a prize for the perfect. That comes from that document. It's not a prize for the perfect. Well, of course it's not a prize for the perfect. That's the proof. Why else would he say confession is not a prize for the perfect? Communion's not a prize for the perfect, but neither is confession. Confession is definitely, definitionally, a prize for the imperfect. Go to confession. That's how you can get back to communion. But we're talking about people that aren't convinced enough to quit their sin to go to confession and make a valid confession. Ah, now it all makes sense. So Michael Lofton and the Pope's planners are the ones taking this out of context. They're the ones who are stripping this of its context. For one thing, Pope Francis says no one, not ones condemned by men in paragraph 297. For another thing, the only person capable of condemning forever is God, not one man, not the whole church jointly or severally. For another thing, the church didn't exist until Pentecost after the gospel. So the logic of the gospel couldn't be addressing men who condemn forever. And fourthly, the general context of all of Amoris Laetitia is Eucharist for unatoned adulterers. That is, atonement without the act of atonement, the confession, for those who refuse to go through the act of atonement. In other words, Pope Francis means... Great, more or less what he's saying with that whole longest magisterial document ever, longest magisterial document ever, is that grave sin will vanish by itself in time. It's not really about hell. You, you want to make this a Bishop Barron issue? Obviously, that's related. But the very reason I signed that document a month and a half ago, or, or put my name to it, the very reason Bishop Strickland and Bishop Schneider did, is because when... Pope Francis says the exact same thing about the, the Eucharistic banquet. Whether he's talking about the one in heaven or the one here on earth, what must one do to take place, to take a part in the Eucharistic banquet, in heaven or on earth? Quit your sin and go to confession. 
And Francis says, well, it, it can happen with the act of faith alone. It can happen with the act of faith alone. In other words, grave sin will vanish by itself in nature, even if you don't do a confession. That's what his whole pontificate has been about. That is an issue put to bed. And as always, I invite you on, Michael Lofton, to talk about it, if you dare. But that's context, that's denotation, that's connotation, that's categorical logic. It doesn't fail us. Parish orphans and retrogrades, God be with us. The Pope is not. Well, maybe pray for the Pope. Maybe he will decide to be with Catholics sometime before he meets his maker. Deus Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb.